Okay, let me just pray uh, uh, briefly here after that little introduction, and I'll, then we'll get into our message. Father in heaven, bless us tonight as we think of some thoughts here um, for this Vesper service. And thank you for your safety and travel for those who went to Japan and those who went to the Reformation and those who went to Kenya, the various mission trips. And as we hear more of what's been happening around the world in the coming weeks, we just want to thank you for what you've been able to do through each of these groups. Bless them, bless us tonight as we think about your word. Christ's name, amen. Yeah, that's right away. Welcome back from Japan. You did send me some links in the middle of the night. I listened to music various places in the world. I did not understand the introductions or conclusions, but I did understand the music. And how many of you watched the Crabtree wedding? Anybody here go to the Crabtree wedding or watch it? It was like being at a Weimar weekend. They had like four, uh, they had like four special musics or choir pieces during the, uh, the wedding, which was just a delightful wedding. I mean, I was, uh, of course it was... Uh, of different time zone, but Deutsch and I were watching it, and we were very blessed by that wedding. If you don't get it, you haven't got a chance to watch it. You should watch that wedding. It's a very uh, it was a blessing. We've had a lot of good blessed weddings this this year, right? And people are moving the stuff out of our houses now and moving away, as we heard. Uh, but they're starting new homes, new Christian homes, which are you know be lights in their communities, and that's. Hard to believe that it's been 31 years since I got married, but it just goes like that. Man, so fast, right, doesn't it, Heather? By the way, how many of you knew that Heather played the piano so well? How many think we should have her play more often? It was, uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, uh, I don't know if you're protecting your family from hearing you play, but give them our greetings. Okay, truth is truth, even if one, no one believes it, a lie is a lie, even if everyone believes it. And, you know, when we were over in these Reformation countries, it was important and interesting to see that many of the people that we were talking with or we were with, they had no idea about anything that ever happened in their city. They, they had no sense of the magnitude of the things that happened in the buildings that they're walking about and among. They had no connection between the economic success of their nation, for instance, and what happened in that church. They just didn't know. Um, And you you could tell that. Uh, And they kind of looked at us somewhat odd when we began singing hymns around monuments and praying. And you could just tell they're looking, whoa, who are these people? and so that was an interesting dynamic. One of the things that's kind of happened is that since the time of Martin Luther, 500 years ago, um, people have stopped protesting. Martin Luther said, peace if possible, but truth at all costs. And he was a Protestant reformer. And now, many times, the people say, why don't we just all get along and find a way to just unify, which is not a bad thing. John 17 talks about becoming one. Um, but the question is, which is more important, truth or, 
or unity. Um, truth and unity in Jesus' prayer, you find the word truth or the word of God uh, one, two, three, four, five times, and unity one, two, three, four times. So I guess truth wins by one, but maybe that's not the way to look at it. Uh, so let's look at this passage. Well, go ahead and read it with me if you'd like. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I have come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one, that they may all be one as thou, Father, are in me and I in thee, and they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. The glory which thou givest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, thou and me, that they may be perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me and thou hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Pretty much now it's like they may be one is kind of winning. Would you say it's kind of winning in terms of the, in the passage so far? I mean, this is the big thing, being one, unity. We hear a lot of messages like this, but now notice the qualifier. I have manifested thy name unto the men whom thou hast gave me, given me out of the world. Thine they were, you can read it with me if it helps you focus, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept, what? Thy word, for I have given unto them, what? The words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me, and I have given them thy word. The world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. And how do you know? Because you're going by the what? The word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they may also be sanctified through the... Not sanctified through the unity, but sanctified through the truth and the word which brings unity, right? How many of you ever noticed people get together and unify for something that's not good? Have you ever seen that happen? I mean, Bertrand Russell, the famous atheist, said his, when he grew up in a Christian home, his mother's favorite text that taught him his whole life was, do not follow a multitude to do evil. Do not what? Follow a multitude to do evil. So you can have unity that's based on error, or unity that's based on truth. John 14, 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me what? Amen. Commandment, even so I do. So these words that God gave his Son included what? Commandments. And you knew that they were unified because of the commandments that unified them. And he said, nothing that I spoke did I speak on my own, but I got it from the Father. So in the New Testament, Jesus, when the words verily, verily is used, or assuredly, surely, or assuredly, surely in some translations. In Greek, that's amen, amen. That means so be it, so be it. And it's actually a quotation. He's saying, what I'm saying is not what I'm saying. It's from Father above. So when we enter into the words that Jesus has spoken, we enter into the commandments, this is the only real foundation of true lasting, positive, truth-filled unity. And that's what he's saying in the prayer here. Um, 
Now, by this we know that we know him. How do you know if you know God? If we what? Keep his commandments, right? So righteousness by faith that doesn't have faith is not righteousness. Okay? And some people get this out of balance. Some people are hyper-righteousness. And some people are (laughs) hyper-faith. Right? So some people will talk to you a lot about sanctification. Some people talk a lot about justification. But it's both. Right? Righteousness by faith. What's it say in Revelation 14? Here are they that keep the commandments and have the faith. Some people forget the word and. Right? And it just depends on what their experience is. If they say, I was raised in a legalistic home, they'll talk about the gift of righteousness. If they were raised in a home of license, they'll talk about we need holiness. We need both. How many of you are with me on this? And this is, this is the point. Um, so if, say I know him and does not keep his commandments. He's a liar. So if you don't have the sanctification, you don't have the justification. And if you don't have the justification, you're probably never going to be sanctified. They're both by faith. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is what? Perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. God is leading out a people to stand in perfect unity on the platform of eternal truth. I am the way, Jesus said, the truth and the life. So when we follow Jesus, as we see in Revelation 14, he's on the top of a mountain. And we might have a mountain between us, but as we keep following him, we get closer to one another and we get closer to him. As we get closer to him, we get closer to each other. And sometimes it might seem imperceptible, but the mountains that separate us go away as we're unified in Christ, whether it's in a marriage or in a church or a time of conflict. Unity at the expense expense of truth is not godly unity, and truth at the expense of love is not godly truth. If you love me, keep my commandments. And though I speak with the tongue of men and angels and have not love, I become a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. So love that's defined by the commandments and the commandments as an expression of love. How many think we need more love? That's the point, right? So we were in the Vatican um, or in front of St. Peter's Basilica this last week and Pope was actually there speaking could hear his voice behind us as we were <laughs> sharing things about the Vatican and about that. Well, what, what is it that Protestants have been saying now for over 30 years, or almost 20-some years now? They're saying that they no longer are protesting. The Presbyterians, the Lutherans, that is, the Evangelical Lutherans, and even the Baptists, who claim Billy Graham as their own, And Billy Graham had this to say, I have found that my beliefs are essentially the same as those of Orthodox Roman Catholics. Um, So these are no longer Protestants. They're no longer protesting. Does that make sense? Roman Catholic doctrine, the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church, the Catholic is the one true church. Infallibility is claimed by the Catholic Church. Only the Roman Catholic Church has authority to interpret scriptures. The Pope is the head of the church and has Christ's authority. The Roman Catholic Church is necessary for salvation, full benefits of salvation, only through the Roman Catholic Church. Tradition is equal to scripture since the Council of Trent. Salvation is by faith and works. 
Grace can be merited. Merit of Mary and the saints can be applied to others at the sacraments or through the sacraments. Penance is necessary for salvation and that does cost something. Purgatory also costs something to get out of and it's still in play. Indulgences are still sold even today. I saw for sale or this last two weeks ago in Rome, I saw indulgences for sale there. I could still buy indulgences in Rome. Um, for making that pilgrimage. I did not buy any. If you were thinking I was going to buy some for you, I'm sorry, I did not. But they were for sale. Mary is the mediator. This is the Catholic's answer to women in ministry. Elevate Mary to God, a position that really only God has, but a co-redeemer. Mary brings the gift of eternal salvation Mary delivers souls from death and prayer to the saints and, of course, um, prayer to the saints, the immortality of the soul. When you go into the Vatican, every single altar you see there is on the top of a relic, on the top of a bone, on the top of something or someone that died. And so when you're there, you're actually worshiping the dead, the immortality of the soul. And also it's filled with all kinds of symbols of the sun. So you have worship of the sun, and then you have, um, you know, immortality of the soul uh, there. And then you have the torments of hell and purgatory put before you and uh, to induce fear. Every picture, usually, when you look in all these cathedrals, is God in heaven with the angels. They seem to be having a good time. Then you got people, the kings, are kind of, they're kind of up there. And then you have the lower people, and then you have the really poor people, and then you have the people all in hell. So you're looking at this every week, you're kind of going, okay, where do I fit? <laughs> and it, could be, it was quite a depressing thing. And when Martin Luther went there, uh, all these same doctrines were in place. Um, so this is Roman Catholic doctrine. Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. Sunday is expressly distinguished from the Sabbath, which it follows chronologically every week. For Christians, its ceremony observance replaces that of the Sabbath. So this is an update of the Ten Commandments according to Catholicism. Uh, it used to be on that day, but we moved it. Um, Sabbath, which represented the completion of the first creation, has been replaced by Sunday, which recalls the new creation, has been replaced by Sunday, which recalls the new creation inaugurated by the resurrection of Christ. This is the claim. In respecting religious liberty, the common good of all Christians should seek recognition of Sunday and the church's holy days as legal holidays. So use the force of law to make sure people keep the day we changed is still Roman Catholic teaching. So Sunday sacredness, we saw the, the, the Arch of Constantine. You see Constantine's arch over there even today when you go to Rome. You look through the arch, and if you, were, you look towards the Colosseum, both of these monuments plus Titus monument, all put together by the Vespabians, right? And as you look through that arch, you see exactly where there used to be a sun god that was put in front of the Roman Colosseum. So that Constantine, who's originated the Sunday lot, actually put his arch looking towards the Colosseum and towards a huge colossus of the sun god. Um, so Sunday sacredness, Easter, Babylonian goddess Ishtar, which I've covered recently in some messages here and may talk about again tomorrow because we did go to the Ishtar gate as well in uh, 
Berlin. Christmas, the birthday of the Babylonian sun god Tammuz. The Pope is Pontifus Maximus, the Babylonian cult. Mary worship, infant baptism, worship of images and saints. The mass, transubstantiation, celibacy of the priests, audible confession to a priest. Notice how these things kind of just built on one another through the centuries. Bible reading by lay people forgiven. forgiven. Council of Toulouse. Then Pope claims supremacy over leaders. Purgatory becomes dogma. Tradition in the Council of Trent declared equal to Scripture. And these might be seen as the steps down. Then the steps up. The Orthodox Church, although this is now changing, they've come together with the papacy recently um, as well, having services together. And when you're in the Vatican, there's a big bust now of the head of the Orthodox Church. Um, Orthodox Church in 1054 said, we're not going to follow the Pope, but now it's kind of changing. United Brethren, the authority of the Bible, the Church of England, no images, idols, Mary worship. When you go to the churches in England, they still um, are pretty austere compared to the ones you see in Europe. The Lutherans followed the Catholics in keeping images, but the Calvinists all did not, and Knox did not. He was an iconoclast. Got rid of the icons, got rid of the statues. Um, and in place of it, what did they put in the churches in England and other places? They put three things. They put the Lord's Prayer, they put the Ten Commandments, and they also had in every church Fox's Book of Martyrs. So instead of having martyrs put his relics and saints around as a pantheon of false gods that still are worshipped, they said, no, we have our own martyrs. Read about them in this book. So Fox's Book of Martyrs, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. And those were actually put in the place of where the high altar was. So when you would go in, you would actually say the Ten Commandments. Huss handed out Ten Commandments to every place he went on the way to his martyrdom. Luther wrote about the Ten Commandments and said you should, that they, they were a compendium of the entire Bible and you should read them every day and meditate on them. All of these reformers focused on the Ten Commandments as the expression of the love of God. Very interesting. Um, so Lutheran, Presbyterian, practical Christianity instead of formal religion, Baptists, infant baptism done away with for adult baptism, that alone would get you killed in not only Catholicism, but also with the Protestant reformers. And we studied that history when we were there with the Anabaptists. The Methodists, separation of church and state and belief in the Ten Commandments, Second Coming Adventists, and then the Sabbath, um, Adventists. So Adventists then claim to be those that embody all of these truths that were recovered and they claim to say that they are a continuation going all the way back to all of these forebears that you can see of the Reformation. Um, Sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. So how did the papacy respond to these upward steps? They came up with what was called the Counter-Reformation, 1545 to 1648. Hundred years of a, of, a, of a Reformation. And this is probably one of the biggest stops that gets people's attention on the tour. When you go to uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola's church, who came up with the spiritual exercises, which were a they were a counterfeit of the experience of righteousness by faith. 
their righteousness by works and through spiritual exercises. And they're the number one evangelistic tool of the Catholic Church today. They're actually sold in Walmart. You can pick up a copy at Walmart if you wanted to. And the Eucharist is the center of that. And they say if you can get people actually saying the, and doing these exercises, they have a euphoric, meditation-driven experience that was the counterfeit of the peace and joy that came by understanding and inculcating righteousness by faith. So the Jesuits um, set this up, and when we go to that church where we were last week, there's a picture of the church, and you can see on one side Ignatius of Loyola, and the other side St. Francis of Xavier, the two leaders of the um, Jesuit movement, and here's their ornate church, just a, uh, inside you, you, all kinds of gold, all kinds of, you can see, symbols pointing towards the worship of the sun. Again, all kinds of altars built on relics. But then you look at the triumph of faith over heresy is the title of this particular statue. And you have Mary there, again. Um, Mary is the elevation of ultimate elevation of women in ministry, along with the nuns and all of the orders. Very robust. But notice what Mary is doing. She's in charge of redemption in this um, picture, and she's having angels that are ripping pages out of books and throwing people out of heaven. And who is it that's being thrown out? Well, you can see it there. Barry can't kind of read it on that book spine. You can see a little closer. What's it say? It says Martin Luther, right? And then what's this say? John Calvin. So she's literally throwing the reformers out of heaven. Okay? <laughs> this is in artwork. And it used to be even easier to see. Notice that? Well, several years ago when I went, that's what it looked like. They've actually started to efface or try and make it not as obvious to be seen. You can still see it, but uh, they're, not, they're not wanting, they're wanting the Protestant to come back to not get nervous. <laughs> so they're not making it as in your face, but it is. You're still right there. Listen to this. Uh, Pope Francis' speech at the International Congress organized by the Pontifical Committee of Historical Science titled Luther 500 Years Later, a rereading of the Lutheran Reformation in a historical ecclesiastical context. That's all just gobbledygook saying we're, that we're rereading history. Uh, what does they want done? While the past cannot be changed, the Pope said 50 years of dialogue means that there can be a purification of memory. Does that sound good? Uh, I don't know. Which is to tell the history differently in a way that is free of any lingering trace of resentment over past injuries that distorted our view of one another. So let's just tell the history differently. Uh, and the way they do this, you know, we killed you, but we were really mean how we did it. We're very sorry how we killed you. Not that we killed you. That, that's okay. But the way we did it, we could have been nicer. We could have used a sword or... A, Maybe we could have used the axe instead of a, uh, of a needle. It slowly kills you. Uh, and, and as I read these apologies, you know, we apologize for the cruel death that was inflicted on John Huss. Not the death, just the fact that it was a cruel death. <laughs> 
I mean, if you're dead, you're dead. But yeah, these are the uh, rewriting of history, the purifying of history. Um, Vatican II, don't make a mistake. It looked nice, very colorful. But honesty demands that we let our separated brethren, that be you if you're a Protestant, know that it is our ultimate reason for participating in the ecumenical movement and that we manifest it in practice by seeking to convert even devout Protestants. The point of Vatican II was to convert you. Yeah, we'll let you read scripture because you think that's important, but really, we're trying to convert you. We're not changing, we're just kind of morphing a little bit. Protestantism is just as wrong now as it was in 1517. It is the duty incumbent on us Catholics to spread the word and make America Catholic. How do you think they might be succeeding a bit? Oh, big time. You, you would never have had people in the reins of power at the beginning of the American experiment from Catholicism at least uh, for centuries, really, but not now. Um, now, the idea is that everybody's Christian. I'll show that to you in a minute. The Counter-Reformation, did it really end in 1648 or is it still going on? Well, now, notice what the Pope says. He says, the reformer Pope heads to Sweden to mark Luther's reforms. What? Who's the reformer now? The Pope is the reformer. The reformer is not Martin Luther, it's the Pope. And this is in a Lutheran country, and this is a Catholic service in a Lutheran country. And this is in the University Church of Lund, L-U-N-D. For an idea of how historic today is, the first time since 1500s that a Catholic priest has stood and give a sermon on the Lund Cathedral's altar. Pope Francis and global Lutheran leader have jointly pledged to remove the obstacles to full unity between the churches, leading eventually to shared Eucharist. We long for this wound in the body of Christ to be healed. We want the deadly wound to be healed. This is the goal of our ecumenical endeavors, and we wish to advance also by renewing our commitment to theological dialogue. So, um, if only Luther would return to finish his work, his church would sure, could sure use him, and he would now be astounded by how evangelical a Catholic church has become. Today's Pope Francis would be a better fit for him than Leo X or Clement VII. Um, if Pope Francis were to break bread with his fellow believers, it would be the completion of Luther's work and the beginning of the Reformation of the Reformation. The Pope begins, seems to understand this. When asked who is better, Catholics or Protestants, he said, we are all better together. So unity. How many of you can see that the idea of John 17, the unity part, that's what they're talking about. But is it on the basis of the word? Is it on the basis of the word? This is a Waldensian church, I think in Turin. This is the head of the Waldensian church. Pope Francis shaking hands with Eugene Bernardini, moderator of the Waldensian Church. And that, these are the Waldensians. They stood up against Catholicism for centuries. They kind of lost it when they came together with Calvin and they watered things down. But 
The presidents of the United States will be foremost in stretching their hands across the gulf to grasp the hand of spiritualism. They'll reach over the abyss to clasp hands with the Roman power and under the influence of this threefold union, union, unity, this country will fall in the steps of Rome in trampling the rights of conscience. So that's happening even today. We thought it was going to be the Sabbath, but it ends up it started with the sexual revolution and laws concerning that. And everybody's kind of caving to that outside and inside the church. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow um, because it is the crisis of our time in our own denomination. And you're going to have to decide, and so will I, whether or not you're going to be a Protestant reformer or a conformer. Are you going to listen to smooth uh, gobbledygook like we've just been hearing and what we've been hearing in Europe concerning Roman Catholicism, or are you going to listen to the Word of God? Um, and it's happening right now, which I'll talk about tomorrow. Counter-Reformation. Today's Counter-Reformation is trying to unite these two staircases back together again. So here's the Pope. Uh, I don't know if this is on. Do you have the... You can see it. I can hear it. <laughs> um, it is unity that we are seeking um, along this. We must encourage us to do what we're doing today. What are we doing today? To pray, to dialogue together, to shorten the distance between us. In other words, to come together in unity. So as he continues, he then quotes John 17, that they are one, that they may be brothers. He doesn't seem to care if they are. He says, it doesn't matter if you're an evangelical, an orthodox, a Lutheran, a Catholic, an apostolic, a Pentecostal, as long as you're Christian. Just come together. By the way, this was foretold. Many people have told us, you know, great controversy is out of date. Why do you guys hand out the great controversy? Why do you do literature evangelism? Why do you do these things? It's not true. It never was going to happen. But I'm telling you, exactly what it says is going to happen is happening. Uh, it's amazing. Who's changed here? Uh, salvation is possible only in the Roman Catholic Church. Other ecclesiastical communities are no longer referred to as sister churches. We're not sisters. Rome is the mother church. With the Pope's approval at that time, it was Pope John Paul II and Benedict was his right-hand man. Then Benedict became the Pope. And then, of course, uh, now it's Francis, who is the first Jesuit in the history to be in charge of the Catholic Church. So Christianity Today at the time, they had this to say, and this has just been increasing. I could give you numerous statements uh, that have built on this foundational, seminal statement from Christianity Today, which was a magazine that was founded by Billy Graham. Um, what did they say about what Ratzinger, who would then become the Pope, said? This is honest ecumenism. We're not trying to hide anything. The Vatican's recent statement on the nature of the church is a step forward, not backward, for Christian unity because they're saying what? We're in charge of the unification. Follow us. The gulfs between the denominations seem only to feel smaller and smaller, and as does the gulf between Catholicism and Protestantism. So now you have pictures 
of you know, the popes coming together with all world religious leaders. So the idea is not to change all the religions to come up to the standard of the biblical truth, but instead just to get them together on a stage and say we're unified. John prayed that they would be one. Jesus wanted his followers to be united with him and each other in truth. He prayed, Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. There's an increasing indifference concerning the doctrines that separate the Reformed churches from the papal hierarchy. Don't worry about the teachings. Just come together in unity. Uh, Several years ago, this was another brother Palmer Brothers and sisters, Luther's protest is over. Is yours? The real divide is between progressives who wish to alter the historic faith according to the spirit of the age and those who believe the spirit of the age to be challenged by the eternal, unchanging truths of the Christian gospel. That statement right there, that's true concerning what I'm talking about, but it's also true within Adventism. There are people that would say we need to be progressive. We know what used to be taught. We're not teaching that anymore. We need to progress. It's the evolutionary model of Christianity. It's uh, time to move on. We have a new Reformation. And here's how you kind of tell. Montrose doctrines are essentially the same as the later teaching of popular what? educators and theologians. So ultimately, popular what educators and theologians will move this way and what is what they will do. They will say that there is no unchangeable divine law as the standard of right, but that the standards of morality is indicated by society itself and has constantly been subject to what? That's the same thing Catholicism says about changing the Sabbath to Sunday but that's going to be said again and again in different ways within Christianity. That's what Ellen White predicted. I'm going to show you how that's happening tomorrow. Right? Um, in a place very near you. Constantly been subject to change. All these ideas are inspired by the same what? Master Spirit. And who's that spirit? Satan himself. If he's getting you to try and change God's law, (laughs) that's Satan. Right? That's Satan. I get a bit cheeky here because I challenge my Protestant pastor friends, if there's no more protest, how can there be a Protestant church? Maybe we're all Catholics again. This is a guy speaking to a whole crowd of evangelical pastors who start laughing and saying amen. Uh, This guy was kicked out of three universities for writing this dissertation. They wouldn't allow him to publish it under the university. And finally he found a university that would give him a PhD for his work. And why was it they wouldn't publish it? Because this is what he was saying. The Roman church state doesn't call it just a church, but a state. And the 20th century is an institution recovering from a mortal wound. If, and by the way, on our tour we take people to actually one of the places where the Pope stayed when he had been taken captive into France from Italy. And 
if and when it regains its full power and authority or heals, it will impose a regime more sinister than any the planet has yet seen. And they said, we don't want you publishing that. Why were they so afraid? Because they're already afraid of the power of the papacy. Kind of interesting. So that they may be one. Now notice what he does with John 17. So that they may be what? One. It's the glory that glues us together, not the doctrines. With the glory you had. It's the glory. In other words, it's some kind of experiential uh, light show. The first angel's message, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. But, but wait a minute. So that they may what does it mean to be one? What does it mean to be one? The heavens declare the, and the earth showeth forth his, day to day, out of the fourth, night into night his. So here you have this, the glory of God is, is in Psalm 19, right? The heavens display. This is book number one. Now, there are people that totally start to worship nature. That's called pantheism. Pantheism. This was a crisis in Adventism. And it's a crisis in modern day Adventism again. And Christianity. But this is actually what he's saying. The glory brings us together. The glory of nature. But wait a minute. Is it just does it, does Psalm 19 end with a picture of nature? What does Psalm 19 end with? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Remember that song? So, in other words, glory, yeah, you can see it in God's creation, but the moral law is a picture of the glory of God and his character being reflected in someone's life. And that's where unity is supposed to come from. Coming together on the basis of God's glory in your life. Demonstrating his what? Love. All right. Um, maybe I'm going too long. I got one minute till 8 o'clock. <laughs> the Reformation did not, as many suppose, end with Luther. It is to be continued to the close of this world's history. Who do you suppose is supposed to be involved with Reformation to the end of time? It's the Advent movement. Wouldn't it be logical that if the Counter-Reformation did not end in 1648, that it would continue also the close of this world's history, that you'd see this combat? Certainly is. So what are we supposed to do at this time? We'll develop this more tomorrow. In a special sense, Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. On them is shining wonderful light from the Word of God. Not from the statues, not from the pilgrimages, not from the light shows, from the Word of God. They've been given a work of most solemn import. The proclamation of the first, second, third angel's message is there is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. The most solemn truths ever entrusted to mortals have been given us to proclaim to the world. The proclamation of these truths is to be our work. 
The world is to be worn and God's people are to be true to the trust committed to them. Wow. So do we have a work to do in the midst of this false ecumenism? And here's the work, right? These were the reformers. Waldo stood up, the Waldensians, then Wycliffe, then Huss, then Jerome, Savonarola, Lutheran, Zwingli, and Calvin, and then what else comes? You have the stepchildren of the Reformation, the Anabaptists. Andreas Karlstadt preached, was the professor of Martin Luther, preaching the Sabbath to Martin Luther. Martin Luther knew all about the Sabbath. In his catechism, in his, in his Bible translation, he didn't miss a word. In his catechism, he specifically followed Catholicism in putting honor on the, on the uh, Sunday. And this is what converted one of my professors at the seminary. He read the catechism of Luther and said, he actually did not follow scripture and he's actually saying he's not following it. I'm becoming a Seventh-day Adventist. Andreas Karlstadt's writings helped convince him as well. Conrad Grable, Felix Mons, these were people that were martyred in the city of Zurich where we went. Michael Sattler, we watched a video on our bus about how he was martyred. Uh, martyred. Separation of church and state. All the things Adventists stand for, they would have been martyred both by the Protestant reformers and by the Catholicism. And those two groups will come together at the end of time again, the same two groups as well. Andreas Fisher, Oswald Glate, early Sabbatarians, Minno Simons, the Mennonites, the Hooterites. Um, and all these people died for the truths that they discovered building on what the reformers discovered, but they went beyond them and seeing within scriptures these things. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he will send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom heaven must receive until the time of what? Restitution of how much? All things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets, since the world began. So our response uh, to what Catholicism has said is the exact opposite of these changes. And of course we're told that the changes that have come in since 1844 are our specific attention. I'll talk about those changes tomorrow as the uh, Reformation is supposed to continue even today and you and I are called to be actual reformers. Um, and we're actually um, called to know the history and lead people to John 17's unity, but based on John 17's bottom line for that unity, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.